everybody. It's Horror Movie Yearbook. We're back in the swing of things. We are we've, back. Uh, we've done two episodes at our regular pace. Uh, we're doing it. We're back. We're doing good. Uh, we are going to, we were just talking off air about the Hot Ones uh, challenge. We're going to do that. Don't worry. I'm just putting it on air again to remind <laughs> us that we will be screaming, uh, um, screaming through whatever hot sauce we eat. So what I think we need to do is just like model ourselves in that episode, whether it's a, it's a tiny terror or like the main after the show and just ask each other ask each other horror questions, questions. horror questions yeah. are per- and it'll start to get personal sure yeah. it could i mean well i mean it's, it's it's so intrinsically tied to who we are that it could become personal the, yeah i'm not going to ask you about you know too much i don't want you to right because i i don't know what's going to come out of me i've seen some of these hot ones the jennifer lawrence one is a good meme but a good meme usage have you seen the one where she's like, i don't know she's like crying and she's like no why would you do that it's a good use for like like memes on Very instagram good. yeah yeah so we won't get too deep but you know um but we want to you know it'll be fun i think it'll be fun we are going to do that next Full episode that we already planned it out. Freddy versus Jason Sanders. Yes. Get ready. We have a very fun tiny terror that is available now on our Patreon, <laughs> patreon.com backslash Midwest Podnet, where Willie previews the show that he will be commentating next week. Yes. Here in Metro yes. Detroit. Apologies to those who don't give zero craps about professional res- wrestling. I mean, we, we like it, you know, but we can't say our whole audience does. I think we've made sure that the Tiny Terrors are stuff that are outside of the norm. Yeah. We've made clear that you can skip the Tiny Terrors if you are not interested in what sure. we're talking about. But, I mean, but, 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 but this I'm week involved. we were talking about our bowel movements for That's a good true. 10 That's minutes. <laughs> but I'm involved in this wrestling show, so please, give it a listen. Right. Support your boy, even if you don't care right. about wrestling. It'd be nice. you know. Uh, and yes. And so, once again, um, it's the... I'm sorry, I'm blanking. I, I know the name. What's uh, Northwest Championship Wrestling is yes. the name of the, the, the company. And it's going to be... In Metro Detroit, in Berkeley, at the Knights of Columbus, um, July twenty eighth. Yes, and Willie will be commentating, so you can check it out on YouTube, um, on their YouTube page, which you can uh, type in their promotion, or you can go to the show too. It's a lot yes, of fun. if you're in the area, and Willie fly will fly out. Yes, and Willie will get know. you hyped up uh, yes. if you listen to that episode. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, that's about it. We're uh, we're on Twitter still. Uh, we are on Instagram still. somehow. HM Yearbook on Twitter, Horror Movie Yearbook on Instagram and Facebook. Um, you can email us. You can email us. HorrorMovieYearbook horror movie at gmail.com. gmail.com. We got that out of the way. Uh, yeah, you ready to... Uh, yeah, where's our emails? Like, uh, we have, Now, look, uh, you know, that's not fair. I'm going to pump the brakes. We have not been active for a little bit. We're just getting back in the groove. Um, but, like, I'd love an email. You know? Absolutely. I'm not going to beg, but I'd love Absolutely. an email. You know, like, I'd love to hear that, you know, somebody out there is happy that we're back. Yeah. Because it's not easy. No. You know. No. you got oh, a you, tiny little child at home right now. Yes. And just so you know, I was very smugly checking the uh, the uh, baby monitor at home just to make sure that I was right. Guess what I was. Guess what? Is he sleeping? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was right. Like a baby. <laughs> like a baby. Indeed. Dude. <laughs> Do not question. Like a rosemary's Me. baby. Oh, just so you know, uh, Joe reached out. He had to see a picture of the, uh, oh, he said, shout out to the Matterhorn and the Marlin song that played on the coaster at Cedar Point. He wanted to- He remembers. Because <laughs> we Thank were playing you. the Scott Stepp Marlin's You Will Soar song. As we were, somebody had it blasting on their phone. And well, like, like, whatever phone that was, was impressive. <laughs> Because you could still hear the song, not like loudly, but you could still hear it over the sound of the tracks crunching. <laughs> and the Matterhorn music that they play, yeah. but you could hear Scott Stapp singing about the Miami Marlins. It was impressive. Uh, and then he also had to know uh, that stupid looking alien from Oh Hollow Z, if he had to know what it looked like. So, ah, sure to, yeah, sure he is pretty stupid looking. So, there you go. Um, are you ready to hop in this time machine? Let's do it. We are going so far back. Yeah, we're not born. Yet? No. Um, uh, my parents are not born yet. This is what, 50... 1951. My parents aren't born yet. Yep. Um, wow. We we have no real connection to this time. Zero. <laughs> I mean, my grandparents were around. Yeah, yeah. So, but they're all dead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's no, like, sort of there's no sorry. not funny way to say that. Um, they would be laughing. Yeah. Well, most of them. Some people are always like they're like, 
they get freaked out by watching like old movies or old uh, shows and stuff, and they're like, "All these people are dead," and like it freaks them out. This is freaking out. It's the, it's the nature of time. It's the past. They're fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like whatever you believe, they're good. Like they <laughs> trust me. Believe me, they've given us indelible works. Do like you this. think that those people would want to be alive right now? <laughs> no, I don't know. When we have in this time machine. We look at some of this crap that's on the TV. Then. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's you ready to hop in this time machine? Let's do it. This is a this is a, a deep dive, so I need a good sound for this one. I'm gonna try my best. You ready? Yeah. Very good. That is like yeah. Very 1950s science fiction. That was my goal. So yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so we're back in on April 6, 1951, to be exact. Um, Spring has sprung. Here's what's going on. Yeah. Right. Uh, this was. It's around WrestleMania and Final Four season is how I remember it. I don't think either one of those were a big thing. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, uh, what's going on here? Harry S. Truman is the president. Ah, Truman, yes. The, um, he gets name dropped in the film. He does? Yeah. He does. The number one movie in America, something called The Royal Wedding. It's got the great Fred Astaire. Ah, I like Fred. Fred Astaire. Yeah. Yes. Um, the number one song is If... By Perry Como. Let us... You big Perry Como guy? <laughs> listen to this bad boy here. <laughs> Imagine, like, sitting around, driving the old... What, what kind of car? Like, the old hot rod? <laughs> listening to that shit. What the hell is that? <laughs> oh, I'm crying. <laughs> You asked me if I was a big Perry Como guy. Holy smoke. I'm happy that it only took two more episodes, two episodes into our return for you to make me cry laugh. Are you a big Perry Como guy? No, I'm not. Answer the um, question. No, I'm not. Yeah, just cruising on a on a on a beautiful April. That's what they used to evening. do. Um, Listen to some Perry Como. That's what they used to do back. I seen American Graffiti. They used to drive down the old strip. Yep, hoping you might make it with a girl. <laughs> Going to the sock hop. Yeah, <laughs> Wolfman Jack on the old radio playing Perry Como, spitting the one. Hey, I, I I I held hands with Betty Jean. You know the funniest thing <laughs> about like that is like. Uh, Halloween Ends just had like some dude like Wolfman Jack. <laughs> he was, he yeah, was, he was like spinning the turntables and had That's him right. field at the time. That's Hadfield right. Never got out of the fifties. What's funny is the fil- the fifties were actually like filthy. Like there was a lot. We're of- going to talk about that in this movie they at were, some like, point. People can can you know like lie and kid themselves all they want. The filthies were fifty because no, you know I know <laughs> 50s this. Were filthy, filthy. <laughs> 50? Did I say 50? You said the fifth. The filthies 50s. were 50. Damn it. The 50s were filthy. The filthy 50s. Um, that's hard to say. It is, yeah. Um, because here's the thing. Like, we remember the 60s, right? Yeah. Okay. We had to get there somehow. Yeah. There's some weird stuff happening behind closed doors. The only difference with the 50s is, like, everybody wanted, everybody wanted to hide their weird behavior. And the 60s are like, whatever. Yeah, it is where we go through those times. Like the twenties were just uh, the twenties were like the Roaring Twenties. It was kind of wild, big orgy yeah. all the time, yeah, yeah, constantly. And then people kind of, kind of. Well, the thirties, the Great Depression, they were having sex, but it was kind of sad. Kind of pumped out. Yeah, yeah. the twenties were like like drug fuel. Like the forties were too busy fighting. Yeah, we know. had we were like focused on something. Yeah, yeah. And then the fifties, it's like let's do it again. Let's do it again, uh, but like let's but be like, weird about it and like let's keep it quiet. Yeah, dress like greasers. <laughs> they. They were doing it though. Greasers were a big uh, subculture. <laughs> Men are getting DA haircuts, which stood for duck's ass. Yeah, it was parted down the middle yep. at the back. Yeah, I know what that, that was. Uh, that was a big thing. Rotary phones were a big thing. Let's see what's on the old uh, the boob tube. Um, sp- something called Space Patrol, the Gene Autry show, um, the Cisco Kid, Beulah, uh, Looney Tunes. Finally, we're getting some good television. Okay, Tom and Jerry. All right. Um, big toys include Tonka trucks, toy guns, spinning tops, and color parts. I'm sorry, man. You know, everybody liked to look back in the 50s. It sounds pretty lame to me. Kind of. Tom and Jerry's cool. Yeah. Looney Tunes is cool. So cartoons, I, I can get, I can get with that. It's funny. That's the subversive stuff there. I know. Everything else <laughs> is the kind of like, Ew. Everything else is kind of lame. Yeah. But it's those kids that would grow up in the 60s and 
uh, start having sex. Thanks, Looney Tunes. Yeah, in the fields. That's what you did yeah, in the sixties. In the flowers. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> we have a great handle on human behavior throughout history. We know it. We are talking about the thing from another world, though. Scientists and American Air Force officials fend off a bloodthirsty alien organism while at a remote Arctic outpost. Outpost. Oh boy, this is neither one of us can talk. This is in tonight. the yeah, it's in the gutter too. Because uh, I said outpost. Outpost. Uh, <laughs> boy. Okay, so IMDb has this credited too, and we're going to talk about this, I think, a little bit later because we've got a bit of a uh, poltergeist situation with this movie. Uh, yeah. Directed by Christian Ab and Howard Hawks. This um, threw me off, by the way. I did not. When I when I was watching the opening credits, I went, "What?" You thought it was Hawks? Yeah, it is pretty much at this point. It's credited to Hawks. Yeah, um, he produced it. He wrote it. Um, it is very much in his style. But Christian Nyby was the director. Did Christian Nyby do anything beyond the thing from another world, or the, was his career kind of just so he wasn't? An, so the thing with him is he was an editor for Hawks. Like he edited like Red River and stuff like that um, leading up to this movie. And he'd wanted to get into directing and Hawks kind of, it was kind of was a this like throwing a bone kind of thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now he did a lot of TV work after this. I'm looking it's like, he did some like Lassie and uh, Kojak um, stuff like that. A lot of TV series. I'm looking at Mayberry FD, RFD, hmm. Gunsmoke. Oh yeah. Classic. Yeah. yeah so, a lot of TV, but yeah, I mean, this was this was kind of Howard Hawks throwing him. Like he's like, "Yo, you edited a lot of my movies lately. Like, here you go. I've got this thing I'm working Thank on. You for that, here I'm a little go. too busy because okay. uh, Hawks made a ton of movies. Um, oh, they all did back then. It was yeah. insane. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there is a bit of a controversy. A controversy. I think Hawks has said that uh, Nyby directed it. Um, but yeah, it does remind me a little bit of the old Poltergeist who directed the Spielberg or it is similar. Toby Hooper, yeah. Um, where were we? Written by Charles Letterer, John W. Campbell Jr., which is based on um Who Goes There? Um also we I should we talk about Frozen? Uh, let's let's hold off on the short story until we okay. get into the meat. Starring Kenneth Toby, Margaret Sheridan, and James Arness. All right. Let's do basic non-spoiler thoughts before we get into the plot here um willie you had seen you've seen this movie before correct it's been a very long time same here i watched it in college a decade it's probably been yeah i'm probably 15 years yeah yeah i was gonna say the same thing yeah what were your thoughts can you remember your thoughts the first time around then this time around so i remember the first time around thinking like okay this is pretty cool in terms of I, I had seen the 82, the, the John Carpenter, The Thing, before I ever saw this film. The most I had seen of this film was actually on the TV screen in Halloween, as they're watching yeah. it, funny enough. Um, and I watched it and thought, okay, this, this is kind of a neat, like, I don't know if I even knew there was like a, a short story or like a a base, I can't remember, but... Oh, this is kind of a cool like '50s version of the thing. Like, okay, I can see where, like what John Carpenter took from this, and like like what he was able to do in the '80s that they could never do back then. It kind of like The Fly, right? So, yeah, kind of like Cronenberg's The Fly, or even um, The Blob. Um, similar to the both of those, where they took a movie of a certain time that was limited in both its budget and it's uh it's ability to it's shock factor it, you know like the 50s were kind of sanitized in a certain way so you couldn't be showing too much in the way of blood and guts um and they kind of the directors t- took that concept and made it very 80s and very of that time um with the remakes so I thought it was a cool prototype for that, um, but I don't remember a lot about. I didn't remember. I, I remember the, like there being like a vegetable aspect to the monster. Like I, that stuck with me, where I was like, "Is like a veggie," um, but that was about it. Like there was not a lot of uh, stuff that was like ingrained in my brain. Um, watching it this time was pretty much like watching it the first time. It was kind of like I knew I had seen it, but it wasn't. I, I remembered so little of it that that it, it 
it was basically the first viewing. Um, and this time around for me, I, I, God, it's tough. I enjoy it for what it is. Um, do I think it's a great movie? I do not. Um, do I think it is a classic of its time? Debatable. Um, do I think it does some stuff effectively? And do I think it actually... If there's one thing it has in common with its 82 counterpart, it's that the two of them share the fact that I do truly believe they were both ahead of their time. And I mean that in the sense that I, I even with the the 50s version, I do think that it's it's not as thrilling as a lot of the monster movies back then. It's not as in your face as a lot of the monster movies back then. There's a lot, there's a lot of talking and debating and philosophical conversation. There's a lot of science versus practicality, like versus uh, science versus military, I guess, in, in a lot of senses. But like, how far should we take science before we say this is just make, like this? We're, we're making a mistake. There's there's actually quite a bit of that in this movie. Unfortunately, the movie winds up being a little bit boring because of it. It gets too bogged down in some of that stuff, and it's not able to look, kind of um, cut loose with the monster as much as I wish it would have been able to. Um, but I do think it's ahead of its time. And I do think that I can see why my understanding of Carpenter remaking the, the film or, re, or making his version of the story is that he was a huge fan of Howard Hawks and he, he was not reading who goes there. He was watching the thing from another world. And that was his initial kind of falling in love with that story. Now I'm, you know, I know that he read, who goes there after the fact before he made the thing primarily because the thing is a lot closer to who goes there than the thing from another world is. But I can see watching this, why John Carpenter said to himself, I would love to make my version of that movie. I'd love to do something new and different with that plot. I totally get it. And I didn't dislike this movie by any means, is it, it, it? It's a solid '50s sci-fi horror movie. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of where I stand with it. It's kind of a lame review, but you know, fair enough. They're not all the best of the worst either, right? We live in a world of the best and the worst sometimes. <laughs> but uh, what, you've seen this before, so yeah, I had watched this. So I actually took the coolest college class of all time, which was a John Carpenter. Dude, I'm class. so jealous. So it, was, it was like <laughs> a film Michigan. studies class, but it was based around... It was all Carpenter and so, oh, his influences man. and all sorts of stuff. And it was awesome. Uh, professor Craig, my Shout favorite pre- professor, who was also my broadcast law professor, which was not my favorite class, but an incredibly sharp man who understood like the ins and outs of broadcast law. This was at... Um, it was at Central. Central. So, yes. um, was this a film studies class where they rotated who the... like? What the yeah, so I actually took a couple of different ones while I was there. I took an early horror one. I With did, him? Um, no, uh, rotating professors. So so was he teaching like a carpenter class every semester? Or was this like... It was kind of like... He, it kind of seemed like... Or you prof- happened to get the carpenter sem- semester that it he did. It was there, well, yeah. And it kind of seemed like... Because there were a couple of times while I was there, like I was that interested. But I also took an Oliver Stone class. And it was... Wow. It was in, the Oliver Stone class was insanity, um, but it was a different professor, and it kind of seemed like the professors got their choice of. It kind of seemed like they had an that's elect, so cool, almost like an elective, um, and they said, "Well, I have, I'm an expert." So they had the general film studies classes, and then they had like like the one that they could be like, "I want to do a blah class," right? Yeah, okay. And because the, the, the structures of the Oliver Stone and the John Carpenter classes were very similar, it was like you watch a movie, blah blah blah. That's so, cool. So it's, it was they were elective classes anyway, um, but it seemed like an elective, like a rotating like choice for them too. I took so. a film class in community college at OCC in Royal Oak and um, it was the same professor every time but every semester he would pick a different either director or actor. Right. And the, the entire semester was focused on films of blah. Yeah. When I took it I got Hitchcock which is really cool. Yeah. That, yeah. Really cool. Uh, I fell asleep during one of his movies that I won't name because I'll be ashamed for it but <laughs> He fucking fell asleep in class, and I was like, "That sucked." Was it was it an early movie or just not like, or, or like it was early... a popular one? <laughs> was it an early class or was it just a boring movie? It was a boring movie. 
because I fell asleep during some classics. But it, I it was uh, my class was like eight in the morning, and I was in my early twenties. <laughs> this was the movie. Um, but I liked most of his stuff. Yeah. And then Nikki took it like a semester or two later, and she got Marlon Brando. Yeah. So it's, it's funny he like kept rotating. The... Kept rotating, but it is a way. Yeah. To, um, I, I want to take it again just to do it. It's kind of fun. I've always thought I just don't have the time anymore. But like, like creating my own class in my head, like buying a book and then just reading, watching. I've done it. Like I've gotten into. Yeah, like, like a mentor. Like, like, a, like with a, Argento, I I was doing it for a while. Um, like I would watch the movie, read the book I bought, and stuff like that. We should but, do that somehow, like a loose version of that. Not like a super structured version, but like a loose version of that. Like through our like group of like pull pull people that we are friendly yeah. with who would be interested. And like, see if we can get kind of like a, like a like a, a faux film club. You yeah, know? that'd be fun. That'd be fun. I think we could make that work. Yeah, even with kids, it would take a long time. Yes, yes we'd, A semester we'd get... would be like a year, <laughs> but you know, we could do that. We could do that. I like that idea. So yes, th- that was the last time to answer your question. That was the last time yes. I saw it was about fifteen years ago. Yes. Um, now part of the fun of that was finding the connections between John Carpenter and Howard Hawks. Um, because as you mentioned, and there is a very brief but very almost informative not almost very informative um interview with john carpenter and robert osborne when john carpenter was the guest programmer on tcm it's on youtube Uh, he talks very briefly for a couple of minutes about howard hawks and his influence on him um it could because of one of the criticisms lobbed at carpenter i don't even know if it's a criticism criticism as an observation is that he spent his whole career remaking the movie real bravo real bravo is about i think he's basically said yeah he's admitted it because it's it's about um people trapped in a jail trying to survive against the forces of evil people in a high pressure professionals surviving against the um outside forces and you see that throughout his filmography it's the siege film yep Assault Which is like a weird 13. like subgenre of sub like there's it's not even a subgenre it's just like a type of movie like it's the siege film yeah and even Halloween has that influence on it Halloween yeah. um all, all, Prince of Darkness yep um God all of it like, most of his movies I have mean that. Escape from New York is kind of the similar uh, yeah similar thing it's uh, yeah it's it they're all kind of Western Howard Hawks inspired um movies about a group of people predominantly male. Um, surviving under pressure. Now there is always that one female. We'll get to her later. <laughs> um, um, There's two in this one, technically. Yeah. So he, but you, like you mentioned, he talked about um, <clears throat> seeing yeah. this movie as a child, and it was more just the hold on him. He saw it in Bowling Green. He grew up in Bowling Green, Kentucky, I believe. Um, and because his original intent was to do westerns, but like that movie had such a hold on him. That's kind of what he was drawn to. Yeah, it's so point. cool. So. So yeah, so as Carpenter fans, this is a big oh, and yeah, in this movie, keep watching the skies at the end. That's he uses that, repurposes it in the fog. So part of what, uh, so my my general feelings on this to get back to that is, I liked it when I saw it. I still like it. The thing is with fifty movies is, fifties uh, movies are like a vibe for me. Like I'm a I'm a big vibes guy. Um, yeah, fifties movies are more I agree with what you're saying. I do not think it's the most exciting movie in the world. Mm-hmm. But a lot of fifties movies aren't, especially fifties sci fi's. I just like the feel of them. I like throwing it on and like almost pretending like I'm at a drive in watching these movies. Um what I do love about the movie is I love a lot of the kind of the Hawksian dialogue, the kind of back and forth. He had a career in kind of like screwball comedies. And I'm giving him the credit here. I know Christian Nyby directed it, but this feels like a Hawks movie and it's kind of fitting that a mimic would direct the thing because he's basically mimicking Howard Hawks here yeah yeah Um, that's funny (laughs) so it is kind of funny in that respect but I like a lot of the kind of the back and forth dialogue the kind of camaraderie between the male characters and kind of the yeah the lead uh strong female character that's giving it back to the men um she really is (laughs) yes and she like she wants to be around the guys she's one of the guys I've always liked that kind of character and that's a character that runs throughout Hawks's filmography and John Carpenter's Carpenter's, filmography so that's the kind of stuff I really dig about it um it is goofy the monster is effective at times, but also goofy. <laughs> the reveal is awesome. Yes, it is. It's really, really great. Like it's, it's. I can't even imagine the reaction in the theater when that thing got revealed. Yeah, because it's it's so well handled. It, you know what's funny? 
the immediate thing I thought of for me was um, the Leatherface reveal in Texas Chainsaw. Oh, that's the original. Good, yeah. Where he hits the guy, shuts the door. Like, cause it's so sudden and so... There's no, like... It takes a no, moment for you to process it. Yeah. yeah, there's no there's no musical cue building you up to it. There's no... Um, it just happens. It just, like, like in real life, things just happen. And so I love that. That, that was my... That is the my favorite moment of the movie. Like, there's no question. Like, I love the back and forth between the guys too, and, and all that too. But like, that's my favorite moment. Is that that monster reveal? I went, whoa! This is special. This is like really, really cool stuff. And I can immediately see the impact on Carpenter. I hate to keep talking about Carpenter during no, the movie, uh, yeah. But like, I can immediately see like that moment. I can see Carpenter going, whoa! Like, I want to do that to people. Like, and in this movie, you can see. Because that whole generation of film brats, um, guys like Carpenter and Spielberg and Scorsese Lucas. and Lucas and De Palma, like those guys all point back. Oh, I know. I don't know about De Palma. Eh, I think maybe. <laughs> but like they point back to these these movies, seeing these movies as kids, yeah. like as like the, like gripping them, like making them want to be filmmakers. And you can see it um, in a lot of their works. Um and it's and you can you can see why when like when you talk about that moment like why that would grip like the formative mind of of a of a young person and you can see it in directors now where it's they were clearly affected and gripped by all the directors you just named yep. works so I, I you always hear a lot of like oh this person's just ripping off so and so but I'm like no they're not it's always bad. they saw yeah. <laughs> something that inspired them and they're they're they are inspired by it and yep. they want to incorporate that into the, what they're creating so yeah that's art. Um, it is yes. So basically, basically, yes. I I love this movie, but I love it in a way. I just love the like. It makes me when I watch it, I want to watch more fifty science fiction horror movies. <laughs> like it's just, I love the feel of the movie more than the actual like experience of like actually sitting down and watching the, the movie. movie itself. You're like, eh, it's, you know, this is a this is a throw on in October in the background movie for me. A lot like the Universal Monster movies have yep. become for me, where yep. I just kind of I keep them on a loop in the background and. I just like, like I said, I like the vibes. Yep, I get it. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to run through this plot, and we're going to stop after every okay. paragraph. All right. Uh, as we do. In Anchorage, journalist Ned Scott, looking for a story, visits the Officers Club of the Alaskan Air Command, where he meets Captain Pat Hendry, um, his co-pilot, Lieutenant Eddie Dykes, and flight navigator Ken Mac McPherson. General Fogarty, not John, orders Hendry to fly Polar Expedition 6 at the North Pole per a request from its lead scientist, Boo, uh, Nobel Laureate Dr. Arthur Carrington. Carrington has radioed that an unusual aircraft has crashed nearby. With Scott Corporal Barnes, Chief, Crew Chief Bob, and a pack of sled dogs, Hendry uh, pilots a Douglas C-47 Skytrain transport aircraft to the remote outpost. Stop. Okay, so real quick. You got a favorite Fogarty song? Uh, let me check. I, I, like sometimes I have to run through when you put me on the spot like this and just refresh my memory. Look um, at me, I can be Centerfield. I, you know what? I'm gonna. I do not like that song. No, <laughs> I don't like Centerfield. Um, I love Centerfield. I mean, I do like Fortunate Son, but I feel like that's such an. Oh, you know what? But Fortunate he, Son is he sings is not. A, is that is that like a, a Fogarty like solo? Or is that him with um, Credence? Yeah, that's Credence. Yeah, okay. That was because fine. that's fine. We can call that. If we're calling Credence, then there's a lot way better. Like, like, like way better. Bad Moon Rising is that his song? I can't remember. That's Credence, I think. Right? Yeah. Um, it is. God, I do. Yeah. Um, it is Lodi. Ah, okay. <laughs> now that I remember it, yes. So there you go. That's my favorite Fogarty song. All right. Um. This movie, so I read uh, Frozen Hell for the first time. Oh, yeah, about Frozen yeah, Hell. yeah. Do you have well, my copy of that? Um, no, I bought it on Kindle. You bought it's like it. six okay. bucks on Kindle. Um, because pretty quickly, it, it took me about an hour and a half probably. It's brief. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'll say this, if you've read the short story, who goes there? I don't think this adds a lot. I think it's more, I think the first couple chapters are more of like a cool discovery. Well, you, oh, Frozen Hell versus Who Goes There? Yeah, yeah. Frozen Hell doesn't add a ton. Really. So what Frozen Hell is is uh, gentleman at, was at Harvard found was going through. Um, I can't remember his name. His name escapes me. But. They discovered the original transcripts of 
um, John W. Campbell's Who Goes There, yeah. which had, for the most part, it was it was basically like a couple chapters that precede where we start in the original short story that like are the discovery of the spacecraft and a lot of the science, the pseudoscience behind what that means. And that's pretty much yeah. It. The the original short story kind of starts where like they've already discovered the spacecraft and like and honestly that's the best stuff in the story. It's that stuff is just, that stuff still holds up really well. Yeah. A lot of it I mean a lot of it is older writing if you're sure. not um of the time but uh, but it does hold up. That's one of the things I wanted to mention in the movies too is like some of the stuff that's kind of dated like the <laughs> That's part of why I like watching old movies. Is like I kind of like watching the old, uh, like the old anti commies, like the rah rah USA stuff. There's a charm a lot of these... to it, and there's like a. It's not nostalgia for us because we weren't around. I think it's an interesting window into like the into the time. Yeah, yeah. it's a time capsule thing, but like, yeah, but you're you're kind of you feel like you're learning a little bit about something you didn't actually experience. You know? Yeah, and so. There's some of that in the in the short story, um, but this like this movie keeps the saucer, the dogs, the research station, and the alien itself, and pretty much it. that's it. And a little bit of the science versus practicality thing. Yeah, you're like, right. So science versus survival. Yes, you're yes, right. A little bit of that. Yep. Um. The, yeah, there are a couple things that happen around this time. So the the Roswell incident, and then Kenneth Arnold the. He was the first person, like after World War II, that sighted a UFO in the U.S. Okay. He was kind of like the first UFO yep. sighting. I think he found like I saw like nine lights in the sky or whatever. But those two cases kind of heavily influenced science fiction around the time. Majorly, majorly, yeah. like you see a lot of it after so that. Much. A lot of flying saucer stuff, a lot of alien invasion stuff, body snatcher stuff. But Hawks was shooting. I was a male war bride at the time, and he read the original short story novella. And yeah, that's when he decided to to make it. So it was in the air at the time. So that's I think the... it was a wise choice. I think like it's it's a story that's ripe for yes. an adaptation. Like I I think that right now, if like you had a a version of Who Goes There that came out, it would be bought up so quick. It'd be like a twelve episode. Is Blumhouse streaming. still doing? I know they bought the rights to Frozen Hell. My understanding is yeah, but no one's doing anything right now because Carpenter. Yeah, right. <laughs> Because Carpenter was like going to be a like a consultant on it. I would guess he did the score too. He didn't do the score for the thing that I know, that would... but he wrote a shit ton of music for it. Yeah, and if you listen to Morricone's score, it's Fuck kind that. of <laughs> now Carpenter. I hope. Yeah, it is. Now I hope they were, like. I was kind of like whatever about it. Now I just want it for the score. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hope this is that's fine. Yeah. I um, this is plus, made. I know that I, th- I really truly think they would do. As much of the effects practical as they could, yeah. And I, I like that's the one thing about that that thing. The thing remake is actually like okay that's as a movie. I watched it. Yeah, I not watched remake. The, it's a it's about a, a year or so back. It's okay as what it is. Yeah, but as soon as you start throwing in that goofy CG stuff, it, that hurts it a lot. Yes. Yeah. I'm not saying it's great, but it's. It, I don't hate that movie. It's a better movie than it. Yeah, gets it's credit it's for. a little dull for me yeah. at times too. Yep. Um. Back to the plot here, if you're good. Yep. Upon arrival, Scott and the airmen meet radio operator Tex, Dr. Chapman, his wife, Mrs. Chapman, Chapman, a man named Lee, who is one of two cooks, and the Inuit dog handlers. Also present are scientists, Voorhees, Stern, Redding, Stone, Lawrence, Wilson, Ambrose, Voorhees, by the way. <laughs> Olsen, Carrington. Andrew later rekindles his romance with Nikki Nicholson. We're getting there. Don't worry. Because uh, Willie and I have a lot to say about this, I'm sure. Uh, Carrington's secretary. Several scientists fly with the airmen to the crash site, finding a large object buried beneath the ice. That's from the short story. As they spread out, determine the object shape, they realize... Oh, wait. Is that from the short story? Yeah. 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 I'm mm-hmm. blanking because I know they... Yeah, it's stuff. not terribly far off from the original story at this, this point. point. Yep. They have discovered a flying saucer. Uh, the team attempts to melt the ice covering the saucer with thermite, but a violent reaction with the craft's metal alloy completely destroys it. Their Geiger counter, however, detects a frozen body buried nearby. This is like the first use of an on-screen Geiger counter, by the way. Um, yeah? Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the first times you like you see like the beeping. That's fun. So, it is excavated in a large block of ice and loaded aboard the C-47 transport. They fly out as an Arctic storm closes in on their site. Let's talk about how horny this movie is. Very horny. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, a bunch of, it's, a bunch, it's a bunch of rowdy, rowdy military men. Rowdy, lonely military fellas. Uh, yeah, so um, basically, 
any time that who's the character? It's um, Captain Henry. Yeah. Any time he's speaking, do you believe in he... Captain Henry? <laughs> My God, that is that's a joke for that was like, good. Thank you for that. People. Um, yeah, I'm giggling right now. Um, any time he is speaking, or somebody is speaking to him or about him, it is uh, about him betting or wanting to bed a lady. That's it. That's his whole. And he doesn't seem to like take much of what's going on all that seriously. For the He's like point. a cartoon character, yeah. With like the when the mouth is open, they're going, <laughs> yeah, with the eyes popping, like the mask, like Jim Carrey's the mask, like his <laughs> eyes. Are, Cameron, <laughs> every woman is just Cameron Diaz yes, in the mask. Character. Exactly, that's him, <laughs> uh, and I love it so much. Um, he is something else. What I want to say is like, uh, and it's not just because my wife shares her name, Nikki Nicholson, played by Margaret Sheridan. Yeah. Um, she feels very progressive to me. Like now, look, I was not around when this movie was made or released. Maybe it wasn't that progressive, but to me, when I think of fifty, what fifty one? Yeah. I don't think of women being this forward in fifty one. Mm-hmm. Could be wrong. I don't think about that. Um. I was impressed by like how much agency she had in the relationship. Like, she wears the pants in this relationship. Yeah. Like, she's calling the shots. She's kind of, like... Uh, she mentions tying him down, doesn't she? And then she does yeah. tie him up a little yeah. bit. I like Nikki. <laughs> I like her. Uh, she's got the gusto, and I appreciate that. So, so there are a couple things... It's very horny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked, we texted, we joked about it, but it mentions, it mentions like, a little bit of, a little bit of rope play, There's some will. BDSM stuff yeah, going on. Yeah, a little, yeah. Bit, of, a little yeah. bit of Fifty Shades of thing here, but, like... <laughs> Um, there's a thing called the Hoxian woman. Um, mm-hmm. it was coined by a film critic, Naomi Wise, but it's like you mentioned, I don't necessarily know if like they're a feminist character or if you want to describe it as, but they're the good girl and the bad girl kind of fused into one single heroine. And that's something that is all the way throughout Carpenter's movies as well. Um, he always has Hoxian women throughout his movies. Isn't that kind of like people though? Right? Yes. Like, yeah, for sure. I mean, it feels real to me. Like there's, yeah. there's, like good and bad to everybody. Like good, I'm using air quotes because there's nothing bad about this character. But like, there's there's a little bit of a, you know. But you're right. Like a lot of a lot of movies of that time, his movies, yeah. like I mean, because he did a lot of screwball comedies. He did a lot of, and his leading ladies were always kind of very verbose and yeah, witty. Yep. Um, and they usually liked to. They preferred to hang with the guys. Why not? Yep. They preferred to hang with the guys. It was, um, oh, this is a, there was a John Luke Goddard uh, once opined that Howard Hawks was incapable of seeing the difference between a man and a woman. So there you go. Um, it's Margaret Sheridan's first film. She was a fashion model and uh, Hawks was taken with her. Um, they, I think a lot of the stuff that plays into the camaraderie, a lot of these people were, a lot of the supporting cast were, they were close with Hawks and Nyby. Um, and, they picked an area in Montana that didn't get snow, so they had to like wait for snow, and they all just kind of hung out and played poker with each other. I love it. One last thing I want to mention before we move on here. Well, uh, the thing is not horny in this movie. They make sure to mention he has no sexual desires. He's not into it. No, he just seems kind of kind of growl and stomp. Yes, Doctor Carrington says he has no sexual factors at all. He growls and stomps. That's his thing. So, <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, that fa- that falls into the uh, the bloodless. Not horny commies like us, Randy Americans. Right. Um, the last thing I want to mention too, just real quick, is the Hayes Code was still kind of an effect around this time. The Hayes Code is like the self-imposed guidelines um, from 1934 to 1968. The kind of they prohibited profanity, suggestive nudity, graphic or realistic violence. A lot of effect on horror movies, especially around this time. That's why, you, like, the 40s aren't a big time for horror because that was pretty like the war was going on and that was pretty hardcore in effect as well. Mm-hmm. So you see a lot of movies that kind of try to skirt by that. And that's what you, when you texted me, that's what clicked in my head because that is very obviously when they're talking about tying him up and like, they're talking about their yeah, past. Yeah, for it's sure. very obviously them winking at the audience go like, and uh, that you've talked a little bit early about how, how um, the 1950s were dirty, filthy. There's filthy the scenes. They're filthiest. Like, there's filthiness throughout a lot of those movies in the 40s and 50s that you just have to look for and you have to listen for. It's so. not that when you watch it through like 2023 20, eyes, you go, whoa. Yep. 
I see what you're doing. Back then, it might some some of it might have just kind of gone. Some of it went over. Uh, the maybe head. I don't know. But then I, I think a lot of well, probably adults going to the theater they got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they probably like were, they were looking at their partner going, like, <laughs> I see what they did there. Oh. Yeah, we'll take we'll take the kids the the thing and we'll put them to bed a little early yeah. tonight. Let's have some fun. Uh, Hendry assumes command of the outpost and pending radio instructions from General Fogarty. Um, denies Scott permission to send out his story. He also denies the scientist's demands to examine the body. Tex, love these names, sends an update to Fogarty, and the airmen settle in the in as the storm arrives. A watch is posted. Barnes relieves McPherson, and, disturbed by the creature's appearance in clearing ice, covers it with an electric blanket. You like electric blankets? Never used one. Not a fan. I don't like everyone I've ever had has like a weird plug that bothers me. Like it, it like you can feel the hard. Plastic. Never used one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you used like a heating pad? Heating pad. Like yeah, a, for your back, like if your back sore or whatever. But mm-hmm. never an electric blanket. No. Never. Yeah. Here's a weighted blanket. No, that would freak me out. I think right? a weighted. Yeah, like a weighted I'm suffocating or something. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, which he does not realize is plugged in the uh, electric blanket. Big dummy. The blocks. everybody knows. Hey, everybody knows that Barnes is a big dummy. Yes. Like, unplug it. Uh, the black slowly thaws and the creature still alive escapes into the storm and is attacked by the sled dogs. The airmen recover the creature's severed arm after the attack. Stop. All right. Um, yeah, so this is a creature. Uh, what, do you, what do you got to say about the creature? Uh, not a lot. It's a guy in a suit. Um, he's got cool claw hand kind of things. It's a guy in a suit. Like, this is very 50s. It's, it, it is what it is. Um, I'm sure that if they had the ability to do zanier things they would have. It's a guy in a suit. They found a big dude, big stunt man that they could light on fire. They put some prosthetics on him. They call it a day. Um, but I do actually like the, I think the scene where he's fighting the sled dogs is relatively effective. It's pretty cool. Yes. So I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't dislike that. That, that kind of works for me. Like some of it, a lot of it's done in silhouette and there's a lot of keeping the, the monster under wraps even in those moments. So I I appreciate that. It, it builds suspense for the inevitable reveal. For sure. So about the creature suit here, they wanted it to go bigger with it. They didn't have the budget. They wanted like the body to pulsate and shift and all sorts of stuff. They didn't, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the changes came down to budgetary reasons. No. Um, makes sense. RKO um, Studios was one of the big five back in the day, along with like Universal and MGM. Um, they were acquired in 1948 by Howard Hughes. You remember old Howard? Yes. I do. The, I do. Yeah, he had a he actually had a working relationship with Howard Hawks. He uh, produced his Scarface from 1932. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, so he they had a working relationship. He was in charge of the time, um, and he wanted to make he wanted to make some big monster. He actually ran the studio into the ground, and it's um, in the fifties, like a few years after this movie smooth move came out. This movie uh, did pretty well. Like it was like it's the biggest of those sci fi movies that year. Okay. Um, the day the Earth stood still came out, but in the book he's like a big blue skinned monster. With like crazy hair, and yeah, he's got tentacles on his head and multiple eye, red eyes, and yeah, yeah. There's a whole thing, and of course, he can mimic people still in the in the book. There's and I, a, that, none of that's here. Yeah, none yeah. of that's here. Yeah, and they, and they want they didn't have the budget. Hughes was originally drawn to that because he didn't want to do he wanted to do a big monster movie, but not like a like a he didn't want like a big like monster. He wanted something different, like a giant monster. He didn't want like a old Universal movie. Um, Lee Greenway was in charge of designing uh, the thing. Uh, they couldn't find a design they like, and so Hawk said, "Just make the monster look like Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> Just make it look like that, that's and fine. we'll go ahead." Yeah, and that's kind of what they do. Yeah. So yeah, they hired James Arness to play the monster. He was like six foot seven. Um, he would go on to start in Gunsmoke. It was just a silver suit with green makeup. Uh, he didn't like the movie, and he said he looked like a big carrot. <laughs> he, he he disowned the movie. Hated it. Um, Fair. I, I don't think he looked like a carrot, though. You know, I mean, no. They they say he's a vegetable, so I think he just said, "Oh, I look like a carrot." Stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, RKO horror, of course. Uh, what's weird is that they the rights were produced in uh, 1980. They were bought by Wilbur Snyder, and he was going to produce a bunch of these RKO pictures. Ended up being just the thing. But they had a history in horror, King Kong, um, a lot of the Val Luton movies, and the Val Luton movies like Cat People. The Leopard Man, they all had these big, like, kind of catchy names like that, the kind of schlocky names, but they were all done very straightforward, and they would always obscure the monster, which the thing, I think, does pretty effectively. Yeah, well. I agree. So it, it, They do a nice job of keeping it kind of under wraps for the most part. They, they try to obscure it because I think they know that they're not dealing with, they're dealing with a big seven-foot Yeah. Hulking. 
Frankenstein guy. Not the highest quality we're dealing with here. The scientists examine the arm, concluding that the alien is an advanced form of plant life. Carrington is convinced of its superiority to humans and becomes intent on communicating with it. The airmen begin a search, which leads to the outpost greenhouse. Carrington stays behind with Voorhees. Stern, do you think he's like, do you think, do you want to start some um, lore here and say he's like the great, great grandfather of, you know, Pamela? Great grandfather. I guess he'd be, maybe just be the dad of Pamela. Might be, yeah. Pamela's dad. Mm -hmm. Well, but, but wait a second, because is Pamela's maiden name Voorhees? No. Oh, no, she was married Elias. Elias. So maybe she's the father of Elias. It's Elias' grandfather. I can see that in Elias. Maybe, maybe uh, because Voorhees, was Voorhees, was he a scientist or a military man? I can't remember. He was a uh, military guy, I think. Maybe that's it. Maybe he was such like a hardcore He was away a lot. He was away a lot. And like when he came home, like he's very strict with Elias and Elias He had some like kind of like weird like half stories about what happened in the Arctic. Mm -hmm. And Elias got into the occult because of that. Yeah. He didn't think it was science. He thought it was mysticism. Yeah. I like that. There you go. Let's do it. Take that. Let's tie it together. Uh, Stern and Lawrence, <laughs> having noticed evidence of alien activity, they discovered a third sled dog hidden away, which had all of its blood drained. The carnivorous plant creature feeds on blood. Carrington and the scientists post a secret watch of their own, hoping to encounter the alien before the airmen find it. Uh, the next morning, the airmen continue their search. Tex informs them that Fogarty is aware of the discovery and demands further information now prevented by the fierce storm. Stern appears badly injured and tells the group that the creature has killed Auerbach and Olsen. Uh, when the airmen investigate, the alien attacks them. They manage to barricade it inside the greenhouse. Hendry confronts Carrington and orders him to ma- remain in his lab and in the corners. Okay, we're going to stop because, yeah. This is the good stuff. This is the this is where we get, okay, we finally get like the, the, the military and science men actually confronting the creature, which I dig. I love this stuff. Um, this is this is where we we finally kind of built the suspense to this point where we can we can see that the the uh, the showdown happen uh, as it were and um, it does happen and like I said the, the creature reveals great um, and then it just kind of doesn't happen anymore <laughs> that's why this is where I so this is my like my favorite moment in the movie but also like where I start to go ah like so we get to see the monster once and then like it just kind of goes away for a long time again which is true, but yeah. Um, I do like the debate between like killing the monster and keeping it alive for scientific purposes. I like that stuff. Mm-hmm. I do. I think it's strong, especially for for a movie of this time. I think that it it's um we still deal in real life with like science versus you know, emotion sometimes. Um, and sometimes, you know, I think people could be swayed either way. Um, and I, 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 I like that debate and I think it works pretty well in this movie, all things considered. So, yeah. So let's, so there are some, like you mentioned, this falls uh, very firmly on the side of the military men. This, this one is, does, yes. This might be what you, yeah. um, I, I would say, may, I don't, I've heard some people call it anti-science. I don't know if it's really, know if it's anti-science. Um, I do think it may be pro-military, but that's, yeah. that's something of its time. I agree. Um, I think, I don't think that's a, but it's a bit of a, like, you've got these conservative military men, and they're, like, they got to put up with this old lib scientist. He's a bit much. Yeah, he's you know. a scold. He's, he's a not, nuisance. He's not great at selling himself. <laughs> no, he's not. And then the best part is, and the, this is how you know the movie sides with the military vet is like, uh, Carrington, like, he's like, he's like worshiping the thing. He's like, this is the greatest thing ever. Um, he, It's wiser than we are. I'm he's sure like of nothing it. about it. Like, <laughs> he's, just, he's just convinced because it's an alien. I've always told you my, my dream movie, well, it's Mars Attacks basically is like the aliens land and they're just idiots. Like they're stupid. Like we're actually smarter than them. He's so sweet. Yeah. We're just, they're just good at building spaceships that can yeah. travel. Um, and they kind of, they become like a burden. Like. <laughs> so this guy, he's convinced like just because this is an alien, um, like this is the greatest thing ever, and it ties into the whole communism reading that uh, is there. These these pinko libs uh, loving the commies. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, he but then he's like here's he's like worshiping the thing, and the thing just bats him away. It's so sweet. <laughs> it's the best. Smacks the shit out of him. <laughs> it's the best because that's when the movie takes its stand. And you know what? I appreciate that. 
At least has a stance. <laughs> yep. Uh, Carrington, obsessed with the alien, shows Nicholson and the other scientists' experiment. Using seeds taken from the severed arm, he has been growing small alien plants by feeding them from the blood plasma this supply. This is not the smart. <laughs> I'm pro-science, but this is not a good idea. No, no. He's he's a bit wacky. Yeah. But that's a horror thing, too, is like the wacky... I mean, mad scientists. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Hendry finds the plasma missing when it is needed to treat Stern, which leads them to Carrington. So there are some horror fans that won't admit that some of, there are a lot of horror fans that won't admit that a lot of these subgenres and genres are very conservative. Oh, for sure. The slasher yeah. movie is incredibly conservative a it, lot of the time. It, <laughs> yeah. It is. It, yes, it is. It is. And it also isn't. Like, uh, I think there are different, like, I think there are differing readings on them. It's, some of, and like with different movies, some have a more conservative streak than others. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yep. Uh, I do think that a lot of slasher movies are pro women. Yeah, and I will. And even if they're conservative in their morals, they are equal opportunity in terms of who they're punishing. You're right, and there are different. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, and, I mean, because they're it's not always black and white either. Right, right. Yeah, they may ha- they may be like you said strict. Morally, I think they're very conservative all the time. Like yes, it's, it's, it is but, absolutely like the characters that are having sex or or whatever, like doing drugs. They tend to get killed, but it is it is very equal opportunity, like male and female. Like there's no differentiation between. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and the other thing I want to mention, I want to tie this back to Carpenter too. Again, is they talk about how and he's said he's how inspired he is by Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks, like you look at this movie, it's very pro military. <laughs> That's not John Carpenter. It's not. No, no, that is not. Like, I don't think you can make a reading of that in any of his. Movies, I think the difference here is, and Carpenter doesn't use a lot of doesn't use a lot of military characters in his movies as his protagonists. Mm-hmm. He usually uses like anti-establishment. Yes, so, like Laurie Strode is anti-establishment. Yes, her establishment is like That's the a, party girls. Mm-hmm. Snake Plissken is like the epitome of anti-establishment. Yeah, like he loves that anti-establishment like character. So it's not the military thing he's attracted to. What he's attracted to is people who are professionals. Yeah. He is attra- in this movie it happens to be military people. Yes. But in his films it can be anybody from a police officer to a babysitter to a uh, scientific researcher. Mm-hmm. So like it doesn't like he likes characters that aren't children. He likes characters that are exactly. well versed in their in their area of expertise. But who are still outclassed by whatever's going on. Exactly. So good. Yep. Yeah. Good point. Um, Fogarty transmits orders to keep the creature alive, but it escapes from the greenhouse and attacks the airmen in the corridors. They douse it with buckets of kerosene and set it aflame, forcing it to retreat into the storm. So now this is also one of the first full burn stunts ever recorded on. It goes film. on for so long. It is. It is. It's nuts, right? It's too. Like I felt very uncomfortable. I was like, oh shit. This, this is a uh, Kane Hodder. Like this is the Kane Hodder. Story. He attempts to do a full burn for somebody, and he burns himself. Yeah. Is like or that's badly. A, yeah. that's like his story. But like yeah. this is like a, the full burn is a stuntman thing, yep. and um, this is one of the first movies to do it. Yep. Uh, and it is, you're right; it is a prolonged Woo. shot. <laughs> yeah, it could have been multiple takes. I don't know, but it looked rough. After regrouping, they realize that their building's temperature is. Uh, falling rapidly, the furnaces have stopped working, sabotaged by the alien. They retreat to the station's generator to keep warm and rig an electrical fly trap. The alien continues to stalk them, um, but at the last moment, Carrington attempts to communicate, pleading with the creature, and knocks him aside. There you go. The walks fuck, through the trap and is the like, fuck out by the monster. <laughs> so this, I also love it too. Um, on Henry's order, is reduced to a pile of ash. I love it too uh, because yeah, it swats aside the. Scientist and the creature reveals himself to be a dumbass. Yeah, it just, just walks into the fly trap. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. It turns out Carrington was so wrong. Yeah, so wrong. <laughs> like this, maybe this is why I love the movie because we do get a dumb, dumb alien it's that's true. just kind of like a I don't big know. dumb blubbering, just blubbering, just goofball. Yeah. <laughs> so the anti, um, the movie is of its time. It's got the anti-communist. Uh, you got to remember this is the beginning of the Cold War. Um. It's a movie about an alien that's going to turn you into a vegetative state and sap you of all your individuality. And if you're American, that's what you pride yourself on is your individuality. America. Yep. <laughs> so um, th- uh, when the weather clears, Scotty is finally able to file his story of a lifetime by a radio to a room full of reporters in Anchorage. He ends his broadcast with a warning. Tell the world. Tell this to everybody, wherever they are. Watch the skies everywhere. Keep looking. Keep watching the skies. That's a cool moment. Fantastic yeah. ending. Yeah. Like one yeah. of the all-time great, really great. endings yeah. in science fiction. We mentioned Carpenter would repurpose it Yeah. Um, in the fog. Yep. 
So funny yeah. enough, not in the thing, funny enough. Right. <laughs> Enough. Well, he ends it. I mean, he ends it I mean, with a different kind of paranoia. There's almost no better ending. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We won't even. Yeah, but uh, no. I the ending is is strong, and I, and I think the 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 journalist at the end, kind of relaying that message to his his peers, is very very strong. And the movie goes out on a high note. It does. Um, I just I do wish that we had a bit more action with the thing and with the troops kind of fighting the thing. Um, there are an insane amount of like military and scientist characters in this movie that just get named randomly, who I forget about completely. Uh, when we were going through, I like, was like, "Who's Tex?" <laughs> summary, like there were so many guys. You really only need a couple. I'm like, who gets like like Why doesn't nobody get killed in this movie? Like, <laughs> you, uh, technically, two people do. You don't see it, which is fine. But like, like, yeah, it's you're right, and it does get like from the short story. The uh, the blood test is in the short story. And like half the camp is, th- yeah. Like, it's actually more than than Carpenter's movie, in right? The story, if I remember, like it's like half the camp is, yeah, the thing already. So I, 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 I it sounds weird, but like I wish there's a little bit more of a body count in this movie. Like I wish the thing like was able to take out one or two guys before, so you could really establish that, like how threatening it really was. Just a nitpick. I I'm guess. gonna I'm gonna ask you a question, um, yeah. and then we're gonna get out of here. I'm, yeah. Um, well, it's kind of a two-parter, sorry. Okay. Have you read the Dark Horse comic that was spun out of the Carpenter thing? Yes. How is it good? No. <laughs> what is your... Okay, so then that answers that probably answers this part of the next question, but what is your favorite version of this story? All right, so I'm going to list off a bunch of them. <coughs> Excuse me. The short story, um, Frozen Hell, this movie, the Carpenter movie, the video game, the remake, or the Dark Horse comic? Carpenter's movie. Okay. And I think all the best stuff that's come out of this, if you want to call it a franchise, it's really not a franchise, but like if you want to call it that, this property, that stuff is based around Carpenter's stuff. Because yeah. the video game is very good. Video game is very good. I, um, you know what I need to do? I think I've said this before. I need to just watch a walkthrough of that game sometimes. It's worth it. Yeah, yeah. I have actually, weirdly enough. <laughs> just I'm not throw it on, watching yeah. a walkthrough thing, but like at that game, I was like, yeah, I'll watch that. Because you can't play it anywhere anymore. Um, and... Uh, just yeah, the, I, I do think the thing the the remake or whatever it was is is not is not bad. It, it, it's not great, but it's not it's not like some horrible thing. Um, and the the Dark Horse comics aren't great, but like once again, they're they're based on that Carpenter vision of what the thing is, and so I think his is is definitely the strongest of the bunch. Even counting the original short story, I think is his trumps it for me. So yeah, I would say he uh, he does what a great adaptation does, which is finds that kernel yep. of greatness in the short story and then somehow extrapolates on that and like mm-hmm. makes it his own and improves upon it. Yeah. I would sure. agree with you. I have a soft spot for the thing from another world. Um, but sure. I would agree. With you. I like a lot of, I, I like most of the versions of this uh, that I've, uh, I don't hate any of it. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's a cool the little... board game's great too. The board game is great. Yes, the board game is a ton of fun. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I forgot all about that. Me too. Uh, that is based on the uh, Carpenter version. Yeah. All right. Excellent. I think next did, time is Freddy versus Jason. I think we did a pretty good job with this. Yeah. Next episode. All right. Here's we're coming up on the 20th anniversary. A very important film for us. A crucial, like a landmark. We're not gonna. I think like what we need to do next time is just free form discussion. Freddy versus Jason. Just go on for about an hour about the movie. I think I think you're right. I it's not talking about some of the different. You are you familiar with a lot of the different? Yeah, scripts? yeah, yeah. I, I've I've read up on them. I think you. I I want to say I borrowed a book from you. Slash of the Titans. I can't. I, I've read up on them yeah. for sure. Um. So yeah, I am. But I, you know, I just want to talk Freddy vs. It, it, it's 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 a movie that's a ton of fun. It came out a very like a, like a kind of a weirdly important time in my life that it came out. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm excited to just riff on it and just talk about it. Then we're going to record our Tiny Terror that is going to be even more important to us. We are going to do a bracket um, based around the Freddy versus Jason soundtrack. Still have my CD? Yeah, me too. Garage. Me too. Yep. Oh, I'm so excited. Yep. I'll never get rid of it. <laughs> it probably doesn't play anymore. It's probably so scratched that it... Yeah, you know what? That's a good point because flying around in the bottom of my car for yep. years. Yeah. Mm, I'll find it. Uh, I know where it is. It's in my trunk. It's important though. It is important. I will not get rid of it ever. No. Uh, so we will, and I'm going to give it another spin soon, or at least somewhere. <laughs> I can find it. So A those are spin. those are our next two in addition to um, everything else we got out. 
Oh, we didn't even mention what the game nerds are doing. They're back. So They're back, baby. Check out the Midwest check game nerds. They're doing cool shit. So. Always. All right, Willie. Let's get out of here. Let's do it. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. <laughs>